I don't really like opening the newspapers these days or my apps on. Because you know what, eh? The world has never been as bad as it is right now. The world is the worst it's ever been, I'm telling you. Or has it? I'm I'm not really sure. You, You know what I'm saying? Some days we wake up and the world's amazing. And then other days we wake up, no, it's bad, it's bad. It's, it's, it's got to end now. I'm going to tell you, if I was the barometer of how well we were doing in the world, we'd all be in big trouble. You see, that's part of our problem as humans, isn't it? That, that we want to be the barometer of what's going on. That, that we want to be the measure of actually what's out there in the world. And we kind of judge everything by ourselves. In the last few weeks, we've been, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. And one of the things that as I've prepared these sermons, Genesis has told me, it's that, that I need to get outside of myself for a real perspective of what the world is like. That actually my perspective is not a really what the world is like and what the world is about. And the fact of the matter is that there's this book in the Bible that, that, that tells a story of the beginnings, of where it all began. And that book over and over reminds me that, that the, the real perspective I need to have on, on this world and what's going on in this world and, 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 and what life is about mustn't come from me or from the news apps on my iPad or from the neighborhood Skinner or the neighborhood security WhatsApp group, whatever. It's got to come from God. It's got to come from him. And, and the beauty of this book of Genesis is that it, it paints this picture of God's perspective of the world. And if you've been around in the last two weeks, I hope I preached well enough that you remember. And so now I'm going to remind you, and perhaps those of you who haven't been around, I quickly want to tell you the things that we've learned already from the book of Genesis. We've learned that God speaks. We've learned that throughout all of human history, God does speak. And even when we think he's being silent, he isn't. He's right there, he's next to us. We can just pick up that Bible or pick up our phone and look at our Bible app that we have, God will speak to us. We've learned that God not only created, but that he creates, that he creates, he continues not only to to sustain the world that he created, but he continues to create in us and in the next generation, beauty and love and joy and all sorts of other things. We've learned that God works. That God is active in the world. That he's part of what's happening in the world around us. He wasn't just then, but he is now. We've learned that God pronounces. We've learned that in, in Genesis, God said over and over and over again, it's good. It's good. It's good. That God has pronounced a verdict over the world. We also learned that God blesses. But we've learned that we can step out of that blessing. And we as God's people must, must 
not just occasionally, but once a week and, and all the time, intentionally step into God's blessings for us. And so this week, I just want to carry on that story. And, 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 and I'm not going to preach for long. I'm only going to preach from Genesis chapter 3 through to the end of Genesis chapter 11. True story. All those rugby fans are going, did I set the PVR? Did I set the PVR? <laughs> so I'm not going to try and cover the whole thing. But as I've prepared, I've seen this amazing pattern that's going on in these chapters of the book of Genesis. And I just want to highlight them for us. And, and I'm going to point you to a whole bunch of stories, some of which will be incredibly familiar to you, especially if you like went to Sunday school. Some of them may be new. Whatever these stories are, please go back and have a look at them after the rugby this afternoon or during the rugby if you don't care about rugby. I, I know some people don't. Here's the pattern. In these books of Genesis, the pattern is humans love rebellion. Humans love rebellion. We love doing our own thing. We love being in charge. We love being the boss. We love dominating other people. Humans love rebellion. Second thing I see in these chapters is that God loves humans. God loves humans. And, and if you take nothing else away from this Sunday, take this away. That when we sin, it breaks God's heart. And then the third thing I keep seeing is that because God loves humans, God always rescues. God always rescues. But the consequences of sin are real. God is just. And so when we sin, there are always real consequences to it in the real world, not only for us, but for other people. But God is also merciful. And so God always rescues people. Humans love rebellion. God loves humans. God always rescues. So, so let me unpack a bit of that. The first rebellion we read about is in Genesis chapter 3, and you know, it's that big story. That big story of Adam and Eve. Humans rebel against God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, my first text. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? So just a reminder, eh? So there they are. They're in the garden. It's perfect. They're doing God's work. And then they get tempted. That story of the apple. And, and here's part of the thing. We get into a whole thing of just like Adam and Eve did. No, no, but she. No, but he. 
Ooh, or Adam's classic, no but you, God. This idea that humans just want to do what they want to do. And in that story, the, 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 the basic issue is, we as humans, we'll decide what is good and evil. Thank you. We'll decide. You see, Eve is spoken to by the serpent, and the serpent says, oh, did God say you couldn't, you know, you couldn't do it? He lies from the beginning. He says, you know what, if you, if you eat there, you will be like God. No, we won't. See, we are already like God because we're made in his image. But what that was about was you can begin to decide. You can take the power that God has about what is good and what is right. And Anna, I want you to think about yourself and I think about me. And I confront situations where I exceptionalize myself. I know something is not right, but because <clears throat> I know. See, and that's what early human beings did, just like you and I have done it over and over again. Yeah, we know God has said a whole lot of things, and the things He's said are good. And they write, but, but me, I'll get to decide. I'll get to do. And, and immediately the consequences tumble out. Because the truth is we are terrible at deciding what's good and evil. We are terrible, terrible at it. Because at the end of the day, we only really decide what is good for me. And so, so these consequences, and you go and read the story, God explains the consequences of what they've done to them. But there's that line, that line to me that just proves that from the beginning God has loved humans. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You see, they hid. They hid first from each other by putting clothes and stuff on. And then they hid from God. You know that heartbreak when somebody you love isn't where you expect them to be. When somebody you've given everything to is suddenly just missing. We all know that panicky feeling that parents get when they've lost a child in a shopping mall. Remember that happening to me once? I had one child on each side of me and suddenly I realized my youngest was was missing and I and had this panic. And then I realized she was sitting on my shoulders. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. We all know that deeper pain of when somebody we love walks away from us and goes against everything that, that we know they could be and should be and are going to become, we know it. 
And when God steps down into the story and looks for Adam and Eve, he's not playing a game of hide and go seek. His heart is broken because he loves human beings. Where are you, Adam? That story is kind of a weird story. It's got, you know, this tree and this. And then God pronounces his rescue. Because God loves us and he's not willing to let it go. And in the story, he talks to Adam, he talks to Eve, but he also talks to the serpent. He talks to the serpent and he says this to them, to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The first mention of Jesus in the Bible. The first mention of this great rescue. And, and I mean, I don't know how Adam and Eve reacted to that in the moment. I, you know, I, I don't know because they'd just been told your world has changed forever. But, but God is not willing, even in this moment when his children have just walked away from him, to go, I, I'm going to leave it here. He won't. He won't. And even out of your mess, Adam and Eve, from your children, I will rescue. Here's the sad thing, is that rebellion doesn't just stop there. The the following chapters tell a story of this rebellion getting bigger and bigger and wider and wider. It's not now just going to affect a couple of human beings. It's going to affect everybody. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel, and we'll talk a little bit about this, and then about another guy called Lamech, um, interesting character. But, but in, in the story of Cain and Abel, we know it. Hey, brothers get jealous. Brothers get jealous. But this brother is so jealous that he kills his own brother. then there's this guy called Lamech, who's a descendant. Cain then goes on, he gets banished, and he goes and builds the city. And in the story, we read how violent the city becomes, and it's, it's, it's not a great city. And then we read one of Lamech's descendants, who even boasts, there's a little short poem that he, he says, and he boasts about how much more violent he is than Cain. It's almost like a a movie. You know those kinds of movies where you know the only reason this movie was made was so that the, the producer could just express violence. Where it just gets worse and worse. And, and that, that's kind of the picture that this, this chapter 4 paints. It paints a picture of human beings rebelling against one another. A picture of I will exercise power over others. I'll decide who lives. Lamech is the first person ever recorded to have more than one wife. I'll decide who I have power over. I will build this city and I will rule people and I will do what I want to do. You see, we don't just, when we rebel against God, just don't 
just rebel against him. We in fact rebel against each other too. And against the image of God in each other. Despite this, despite our desire to dominate other people, despite our desire to be better than other people, despite our desire to get rid of other people who make us look bad, God loves humans. Humans rebel, God loves humans. How do I know that? Genesis 4 verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? God steps down into the story and his words to Cain are, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And of course, being the rebel, how does he reply? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, in fact, you are. And so again, we see this broken heart of God that loves humans, that cares, but it doesn't even stop there. Because once again, God rescues. So Cain gets banished by God. God says, go, go. Seriously, Cain then whines. And he says, yeah, but if I go out there, people won't like me. <laughs> no surprise there. And they will kill me. This is one of the reasons why I'm glad we don't get to decide what good and what is right. Because I know what my response would be. <laughs> you can hand it out. But you can't take it, eh? But that's not how God responds. Even to Cain. Even to Cain. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Isn't that interesting? Cain, even though you've just murdered your brother. I'm, I'm, I still love you. I still want to protect you. I still want you to have an opportunity to repent. We don't know if that happened. But the love of God, that rescue, that God still rescues Cain, even in the middle of his sin. God still holds out his hands and says, even when you're rebelling against each other, I will still rescue you. If you will allow me to. Guess what? The pattern continues. Because we go another few chapters and we go to chapter 6 and we, and we see that human beings are now not just rebelling against God, not just rebelling against one another, but rebelling against the whole system that God put in place, the whole rule of God. We are going to do what we like, when we like, where we like it. And you read the story in chapter 6 of, of the beginnings of the, of the story of the flood. And you just read of a world where everybody's just doing whatever they want. It's quite interesting that violence is a big theme here. It's an interesting thing. We live in a world that glorifies violence. We live in a world that says if you really want to ultimately solve a problem... Just be stronger and bigger and fiercer than the next guy. And there are lots of other problems. Go and read the story for yourself. But over and over again, this, this 
rebellion against God's rule. And so in chapter 6 to chapter 9, we read the story of the flood. And then we read this weird story about the sons of God. And, and, and go and read it for yourself. And scholars kind of are, they differ on who the sons of God were. Some believe that it was angelic beings that started having relationships with humans. And then they produced what were called the Nephilim, which were giants. Other scholars believe that it was a, a bunch of kings who, who kind of set themselves up as rulers by divine right. We can rule because we are the sons of God. You see how subtly they've taken that we are all the children of God. No, no, but we are special. And so they created this very powerful warrior-like ruling class. The point is this. It doesn't matter which of those two are the correct one. The point is this, that we cannot set ourselves up in God's place. We cannot claim some divine right that we are better than other people, that we have a right to be over them. We cannot rebel against God's order. They claimed divine descent and domination. And here's the passage that tells me, even in all of this, how much God loves humans. I've always read this passage as an angry God saying this. I don't think it is. I think it's a heartbroken God who's saying this. Genesis chapter 6 verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. For I regret that I have made them. Imagine. I don't think. God was not keen to kill humans. God wasn't sitting there waiting. I'm going to wipe you out. He wasn't. God loves us. The Bible teaches us again and again and again. And I just think that that's the statement of absolute heartbreak. Imagine regretting your family. Some of you have been there. God loves humans. And he will do whatever he can to rescue us. And so the very next thing is we discover this person. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm not going to give up on these humans. Just read a little bit further. Noah was flawed. My goodness me, he got into some weird stuff after he got out of the ark. But he loved God. And God saw that. And God loved him. And God said, I will not give up on human beings. I will rescue them. I wish that was the end. You know, I wish it ended with 
the clean world and the rainbow, but it didn't. Human beings discover technology. And so not only do human beings rebel against God, they don't just rebel against each other, they don't just rebel against God's order in the world, but human beings rebel against God's power. They want the same power that God has. And, and a new technology at that time in history enables them to try and get that. The brick. Now, I know that, you know, smartphones, bricks were a major technological breakthrough. Baked clay bricks. And that's what the story is in Genesis. If you go and read it around the Tower of Babel, it's the beginning of the city of Babylon. It's in Genesis chapter 11. All of a sudden, they can't just make small buildings. They can make huge buildings. And what do they decide to do? They decide to make a building that will glorify themselves and get them to heaven. Go and read it. There's more of it later on in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with building good buildings. There's nothing wrong with technology. There's something wrong with human beings saying, I now have the technology to take the place of God. I can now rule the world. I can now destroy the world. I can now get to God. I can now fix all the problems of the world. Technology makes us believe that we have the means to rescue ourselves. And we don't. And here's the message of God that comes out in chapter 11. The fact that he loves us. The Lord said, if as one people, Genesis 11 verse 6, one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's a statement saying, I can't let them do this. I can't let them do this. Because they're not just going to kill themselves, they will kill everyone. They will. Folks, we have the power to do that. And have you noticed that how some nations in this world who do have the power to do it are so obsessed, not with getting rid of their power to do that, but with stopping other people having the same power? It's crazy. Just get rid of all of yours. It's interesting, our country, with all its problems, is the only country in the world that has destroyed its own nuclear weapons capability. Did you know that? We used to have them. And then we said no. And that's the rebellion here. I have God's power. I can decide. Technology can make me healthy, wealthy, and wise and decide who lives and dies. And God says, I'm going to scatter them. God isn't talking about those people only in Genesis. He's talking about us. Is the world worse than it's ever been? I don't know. I really don't. But I do know this, that we live in a world 
where God will keep giving us the chance to do the right thing. Because he loves us, he will keep presenting with us as human beings, his children, his people, the chance to do the right thing again and again and again. But you know what? Human beings will keep rebelling. We all choose to define good and evil for ourselves over and over and over again. But Genesis also teaches me that despite that that cycle is going to keep happening, God will and has always got a plan to rescue. Always. So even if the world is the worst it has ever been, there is a plan. And it's God's plan. And he will rescue us. Now, first time it's ever mentioned. This is Genesis chapter 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God has given us Jesus. In a moment, we're going to step down and we're going to celebrate that. That it doesn't matter if the world is as good as it's ever going to be, or as bad as it's ever going to be, it doesn't matter because God loves us and he will rescue us. And our job is to keep telling that story again and again. And what a great job we have. We get to be the guys in the middle. We get to be the people that keep telling others again and again. It doesn't matter how bad it is. God is here to rescue us. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your rescue plan. Lord, thank you that now we can step down and have a meal together. A fantastic meal that tells us. That you came into the world, that you love us, that you care for us, that even though we rebel, you have made a way when there seems to be no way. As you prepare to eat this meal, I'm going to ask you to spend a moment asking yourself and asking God, what's your rebellion? We all have our own ways of rebelling. God, is it you that I try to rebel against? Do I, do I make myself the definition of right and wrong? Lord, where have I rebelled against my brother and my sister? Where have I been jealous and, and, and wanted to undermine? Lord God, where have I tried to take power over other people? Where have I exploited other human beings? Where have I sought to dominate Lord, where have I made the mistake of thinking my goodness can rescue me or I've got some technology. Forgive me that I try to get to you instead of just embracing you when you come to me. We are reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. This meal has been had in so many ways through the centuries. The biggest thing about this meal is what's going on inside our hearts when we have it. 
Are we embracing the rescue of Jesus? Are we saying, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you were broken for me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant. God, thank you for your rescue. Forgive our our rebellion. Thank you for your love. Lord, as we eat and drink now, we celebrate the fact that you love us and that you will rescue us again and again and again. Lord, even better than that, that you won't do it again and again, that you've done it once forever. We take it and we eat and drink now with gratitude in our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.